Okay, we are back on the Edlow podcast with Mr. Devon Dudley for round two. How you doing, Devon? Ah, good. Just woke up. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, just woke up. My 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 wife had a baby December nineteenth, and so we are trying to deal with the fact of uh, getting up at all hours of the night taking care of the baby, sharing the responsibility, of course. Oh man, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's a. That's a rough one, man. That's I, I remember those days. My kids are older now, so I don't got to deal with that. It's it's a much different deal when they're self-sufficient than when they're babies. Yes, yes. I was crazy enough to start all over again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I bet that's fun, though, you know, especially being in this, in this time of your life. It really is. Um, you know, most people in this time of their life are looking to become grandparents and all of that, but we decided to do a Robert De Niro <laughs> and, <laughs> and start all over again. <laughs> the only uh, thing is, I'm not 72 years old, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 good. Well, the reason I'll say, I'll tell listeners, because this is going to be a part two. Sure. The reason why I had you come on was we we spent so much time talking about wrestling and about the last five, ten minutes of your pod, last podcast, you started talking about your history. And I was like, oh, my gosh. As a podcaster, I have failed in telling probably some of the most interesting stuff about you that hasn't probably been out there much. Yeah, a lot of my history is not really out there. Yeah, so let's let's start talking about that. So you mentioned you you grew up in Brooklyn, and tell me tell me about your your mother and your father and kind of your family. Yeah, sure. So I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, uh, fifty six Summoner Projects uh, on No String and Myrtle Avenue, and. Um, my mother was pregnant at 15 and had me at 16. Wow. Uh, my biological father was a big time drug dealer. Uh, mm. He was out there with some of the likes of a guy named Nicky, Nicky Bonds, uh, mm. who they pretty much ran New York. Mm. And, uh, you know, he really wasn't in the picture. Mm. Um, you know, uh, he was out there in the streets running around. His nickname was Hollywood, they called him, you know, mm. and, uh, you know, that just shows you, you know, he was out there doing his own thing. And my grandmother was the fist of the family. Mm. Uh, she was the one that kept everything together. Mm. And, uh, you know, and that was from 72 um, to, of course, when I was born, uh, she was, uh, she was kind of, she took me in kind of like, Everybody would tell me that I was kind of like the son she never had because mm -hmm. she only had one child and my mother. Mm -hmm. And so it was a girl. So when I was born, she kind of took over, so to speak. My mother was very young, so she kind of took over. And uh, it was almost like everywhere I went, everywhere she went, I went and vice versa. So it was me and my grandmother, we had a very, very... Uh, thick bond and uh, I even called her mom at times mm. and you know getting out of Brooklyn was rough yeah mm. I didn't have the upbringing like a lot of tragic stories that you hear but my story was a little tragic you know again mother was very young um out there in the world uh before she got saved and in the church uh doing her thing and you know my grandmother like I said kept everything together uh, I didn't meet the preacher until I was 15 years old. Oh, wow. Um, can, can I stop you right there? Well, let me ask you a couple of questions about that. So, sure. so tell me, 
Um, because, and I, I relate to a lot of your story for a couple different reasons. One, my dad, so my dad uh, didn't know his father at all. He was actually the first of three kids in a second family that my, that my grandfather had out of state. And so he didn't know his dad at all. And then my dad, he, because he didn't have a father and he struggled and stuff, he grew up in the you know 60s and 70s. He got into some drugs and it took him a long time to battle those demons. And, um, and, and, my, and so uh, tell me, you know, having, it sounds like your mom had a transformation through church. My dad did too. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, I can tell you that it was um, when things got rough in Brooklyn, crack first hit the scene um in 83 in brooklyn mm -hmm. and it ran through the projects like wildfire mm -hmm. and um you know it was so bad that people who went to work and you know made an honest living were turning into junkies and crackheads and it was like an incredible sight uh kids were being killed and shot because they were either using crack or selling the drug, they were in and out of jail. So it was really rough. Mm -hmm. uh, and my grandmother and mother saw that. And we had a, I had an aunt, uh, my great grandmother, sister who lived in Long Island and she really didn't have kids. Um, so she wanted kids, but could never have them. And so her and her husband basically helped raise um, my grandmother's sister's son uh, who was out of control and uh, took him in and, you know, made him into a great person. And so uh, my mother and uh, grandmother started speaking and said, you know what, we need to get Devon out of here. Mm. And uh, how do we do this? And they thought about it and they said, well, why don't we send him? And we, her name was, da we called her on Dottie. Mm. Why don't we send him to on get him out of here? And at mm. that time it was, she lived in Long Island, New York. And it was basically like country. It was real country out there. What mm. you see now in Huntington, Long Island is not what used to be in the, in the 80s, 70s and 80s. Mm. It was really country. It was uh, a lot of farms and, you know, cows and chickens and all of that. People had a lot of farms out there, dirt, uh, woods and all of that. And this was before mm. they started developing out there in Long Island. And um, I went out there and I went from an all dominant black school, black mm -hmm. and Hispanic school. Now I'm going to school in Long Island. Mm -hmm. uh, and this was in 1984. Mm -hmm. And so I went and um, <clears throat> I went to school out in Long Island, lived with her, everything turned out great. And I remember at the time I was reading, I was in sixth grade reading on a third grade level. You know, mm. and I remember my grandmother and mom, you know, weren't aware of this. Um, and there were some tragedies um, in our lives at that time. People that were very close to us who got who passed away mm. that were ultimately killed. And mm. so I kind of got lost in the shuffle. And when I went out to Long Island with my Aunt Dottie, she realized the struggle that I had with my grades. And mm. it, she was like a... Um, a genius, so to speak, you know, she could take a book, a, a thick novel and read it within 10 minutes. That's how mm -hmm. good she was in mm -hmm. her schooling. And so she basically worked with me um, and got me on grade level. By the time I got to eighth grade, I was on a reading level. Mm -hmm. 
And mm -hmm. and tell me, you're on that eighth grade reading level. Um, and you know, in this in this time frame while you're going through this, are you are you still in contact with your mom? Are you in contact at all with your dad? Oh yes, I would go to school. Um I would go to school Monday and Friday in Long Island, but then go back home to Brooklyn uh Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. But then on Sunday, of course, get ready to go back uh for school yeah. on Monday. My grandmother was a trooper, man. It was an hour drive uh from Brooklyn uh to Long Island and she did it every weekend. Yeah. I mean, she would pick me up, you know, work with me, do my laundry, uh iron my clothes, what have you, put them on hangers and hang them up, and we would put them in the car, hung up like that. And um, you know, so when I got home they were, you know, freshly uh done. I mean, she was a trooper, man. She did exactly, you know, um what a grandmother would do. Uh, in that aspect, and which is why I loved her so much because of how she stepped in and did what she did. Um, yeah. You know, it's emotional sometimes when I think back uh, because, you know, again, if it wasn't for her, I don't know if I would be sitting here in front of you right now, mm -hmm. you know, or where I would be, uh, the quick decision-making that she made to get me out of Brooklyn school systems at the time and to kind of you know get my life on track so it was kind of uh you know it was a, a somewhat of a tra tragedy in a sense to have to leave and and mm -hmm. go somewhere else and go to school but at the same time it was a blessing yeah. you know again it was culture shock but at the same token i enjoyed it to the fullest at first for the first what a couple of months i didn't want to be out there i wanted to be home but as time went on i grew to love long island and I grew yeah. to love the kids that were there. And, you know, they opened up to me after a while after getting to know me and I opened up to them. And, you know, it was one of those things where, you know, now all of a sudden, you know, it's like I'm fitting right in. Yeah. And the first uh, time that I started going to church um, was with my aunt. She was a very religious person. And mm -hmm. we went to church and uh, she basically had me in the choir singing. Mm -hmm. uh, I was playing the drums mm -hmm. and everything. And we had a choir anniversary there. Every year they had an anniversary. And um, I invited my mother. Mm -hmm. And I remember I'm up there singing. And, you know, again, she was out there in the world doing her thing, you know. And I remember her just sitting there watching me. And you can tell the look on her face was just in amazement. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she leaned forward onto the pew with her hand like this most of the time watching me sing and had a hand like this. And at that point in time, you know, we because we talked about it, she had a come to Jesus moment. Mm -hmm. And she realized that the things that she was doing was wrong. And, you know, and things like that. So she went and got herself together. She went to, um, she went to theological seminary school and, uh, you know, started coming to church every week, getting into the word and basically got saved, wow. got saved and then became a preacher wow. on top of so, that. So, so tell me how, how long from that moment where she saw you in the choir to her entering this, entering the seminary. It was very quick. It was Man. very quick. I mean, she was saved 
instantly. I mean, Jesus has touched her so quick, so Man. fast. It's uh, isn't it inter- isn't it interesting? It's so interesting. I I was so I served a mission for my church in Indiana, and uh, I'm sure it's nothing like Brooklyn, but the inner cities of Indianapolis they can be pretty rough too. And absolutely. It, and it's amazing. In fact, I remember ECW had cut. You know, they'd been to Fort Wayne and different areas like that. <laughs> and uh, you know, they're rough area. There's some rough areas out there, but it's amazing to see how uh, I saw it firsthand. How somebody who who catches who catches faith, how much that can change their lives. And it's cool to hear yeah. that that's what happened with you. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, again, I was, you know, at the time, you know, it was what, 87. So I had to be, I think I was like 13, 14 years old. Mm-hmm. And at that point in time, my life was changing just dramatically. Didn't even realize how much it was changing mm-hmm. uh, for the good, you know, yeah. not for the words for the good you know, living in Long Island, doing what I was doing. Like I said, it was like saved by the bell, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, you know, Screech and if you remember the TV show, Screech, <laughs> yeah. Zach, all of that. I, I mean, that's the characters that we had at the school that I went to, which was John Glenn High School uh, in East Northport, Long Island in Huntington. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it was one of those things where I'll never forget um growing up there and i think that kind of saved my life and made me who i was today because my whole outlook on life had changed at that point and uh then i remember um 1988 comes around and uh, she met my dad and mm-hmm. my father uh came in and took on the responsibility of having you know uh two kids Mm-hmm. that my mother had myself and my brother and they formed a marriage and and got together and you know it was like magic and we mm-hmm. we left brooklyn and long island um at that point uh in 88 89 and i was going into my junior year and we went to new rochelle new york mm-hmm. went to new rochelle new york and i finished my junior and senior year there it's funny how when I basically see some of the um, places on where they say I grew up, they are, oh, he grew up in New Rochelle. Oh, he grew up in Long Island. No, I grew up in Brooklyn. But I mm. entered, you know, New Rochelle and Long Island. That's what people don't, don't understand. I grew yeah. up mostly in Brooklyn. But, you know, I do acknowledge Long Island, and I definitely acknowledge New Rochelle. Uh, and it was funny because I went from, like I said, that Saved by the Bell type of school atmosphere to now I go to New Rochelle and it's like a rainbow coalition. It was like every um every race you could possibly think of now mm-hmm. in New Rochelle because New Rochelle is on the border of the Bronx. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's like right there in um it's in Westchester. But okay. it's like right there on the skirts of everything. Uh near the, I mean we're about an hour away from New York City, things like that. So, you know, you had everybody there and it was great. I mean, I had a great time in New Rochelle. Uh, I met my first wife there, the twins' mom, my son's mom, uh, who we got married, you know, years on. And, you know, my father, my stepfather at the time took the responsibility of raising myself and my brother. And he basically really taught us a lot. He was a very, very good man taught you know taught us business how to handle business uh things like that how to be respectful uh Mm -hmm. towards others and just how to handle yourself in general 
And, mm-hmm. you know, he passed away in 2003, but man, he was something else. I mean, mm-hmm. his name, you know, my son is named after him, but, you know, one of my sons is named after him, but man, he was something else. Never will forget that man and so grateful for what he had done. As far as I'm concerned, that is my father. Wow. Now, tell me, in this whole in this whole time, I mean, um, you know, we know you eventually become a, a one of the most famous professional wrestlers in history. Where does wrestling come into the picture? Are you a fan as you're growing up? Absolutely. I mean, in Brooklyn, um, mm. you know, before I left um, the school systems out there, I was watching WWF um, at the time. And I remember my grandmother, my mother and I, we were at what they call the house party. Not like the movie house party. Wild and stuff. <laughs> it was kind of like um, when the older people got together, they played cards. You know, they had a couple of drinks. We ate dinner and things like that. And the kids would go off in the bedroom and watch TV until the adults were done. And I remember turning the TV on one time and flipping through the channels and I saw wrestling. Mm-hmm. And um, had no idea what it was. Couldn't tell you. And I just remember at that time seeing Bob Backlund mm. uh, come on the TV. And then, you know, he was talking about it. This is when back when Vince used to hold the mic and do interviews. Nobody yeah. nobody ever knew that Vince, you know, was the, I don't think he was the owner at that time, but nobody right. knew anything about, you know, the ends and going on in professional wrestling at that time. And, you know, he's holding the mic and he's interviewing Backlund. And we go to commercial break, we come back, and now Big John Stud mm. is being interviewed. And now Stud is talking about what he's going to do to Backlund when he mm. sees him in the ring at Madison Square Garden and how he was going to tear him alive and, you know, beat him from every inch of his life. And I remember being horrified. I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> this big man is going to kill this little man. And I told my grandmother, she, was, she came in the room and she says, all right, Devon, let's go. We're getting ready to leave. And I said, Grandma, you got to see this. I was like, this big man is threatening to beat up this little man. And she was like, what are you talking about? And when I showed her, she said, oh, boy, that's wrestling. Ain't nobody looking at that. <laughs> and I, you know, that was back, back then, that was when pro wrestling wasn't looked upon like it is now. Right. You know, it was taboo. You didn't say that you were a wrestling fan or even that you enjoyed wrestling. Yeah. So, And it's funny because fast forward to, you know, what was it, like 10 years later, my grandmother is on in the bed with me watching pro wrestling, jumping and cheering and carrying on just as loud as I was. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, she was a big fan of Mr. Johnson, Rock the Rock's dad, Rocky Johnson. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, she was crying when they won the tag team title because they were the first African-American tag team to ever win a title you know, in a company like the WWF. And it was kind of like that moment where she kind of felt like we started to overcome, mm-hmm. you know, because she had seen so many, so much stuff growing up. And to now actually see that and for the WWF at the time to recognize that that was huge in a lot of black homes. And mm-hmm. I don't think that's what a lot of people don't understand back then because, you know, growing up, it was like hard. I mean, even though you had SD Jones, Junkyard Dog, you know, back then, um, it was very, very uncommon to see people that looked like us, mm. that were successful, that mm. were winning, uh, and things like that, especially growing up in Brooklyn. 
you know, because all you heard was the tragic stories and, you know, things like right. that. So to actually see that on TV, it was mind boggling to a lot of African-Americans. And even to this day, when I talk to a lot of black people about during that time that they can remember, they say the same words. Yeah. This is why, you know, I think a lot of black people were offended by Vince when a lot of stereotypes were going on in the mm-hmm. wrestling business at the time, especially with the hottest company around, even back then was WWF. Mm-hmm. A lot of people were taken back by that, you know? Um, you know, and it, it was just one of those things where I think, you know, being black, um, growing up in the in the 70s and 80s, um, you gotta remember the Jim Crow laws and the racial tension in the South wasn't even more than 10 years old at that point. Right. So, you know, we're still dealing with racism and, you know, uh, black people, you know, feeling certain ways about how they felt and fit in um, to society. You know, it was still raw, yeah. you know. And so the escape was for me and so many others pro wrestling. It gave you that fantasy to forget about what was going on in the real world. Mm-hmm. and, you know, enjoy yourself at the time of what you were seeing being portrayed on TV. So at that point, I saw, you know, like I said, Big John Stud and, and Bob Backlund, and I fell in love. Yeah. And then, of course, a certain bleach blonde guy came on the scene after <laughs> doing Rocky Three, and uh, forget about it. Hulkamania, I, I tell people all the time, you don't understand mm-hmm. the power that Hogan had when he mm-hmm. captivated an audience. It's one thing to hear people talk about it, but when you lived it and you saw it and you felt it during that time, if you weren't there, you couldn't fathom what we felt as kids and how mesmerizing this man was. I'll tell you, know? I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story about that. Uh, there was a house show here at the Arco Arena and I, when I was a little kid and the main event was, I mean, they, they'd come through a few times and they did real well, you know, they, but, Hogan, Macho Man. And we went to the show. It was a sellout. He came out. It was the most crazy. It was the craziest I've ever seen anybody. And they went to a count out, right? Uh, Macho Man. I I can't remember if Macho Man won by count out or Hogan won by count out. And so they announced right afterwards that they were selling tickets that night. They're going to be back in a month for the rematch. Mm. Sold out that night. Everybody bought a ticket to come back. I mean, that, that was for house shows. I mean, those weren't televised events. I mean, he was huge. Did you ever get a chance to meet Hogan? And, and what was that like? Oh, absolutely. I saw Hogan when Hogan came back to the WWE with mm-hmm. Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. And I'll never forget it. Me and Bubba are in the car heading to the Staples uh, Center. And, you know, we, we meet downstairs. We start driving. He goes, you know, your boy's going to be there tonight, right? Mm-hmm. And I go, who are you talking about? He goes, Hogan and Nash. And uh, Scott Hall, I was like, oh, Hogan's going to be there? I was like, oh, okay, cool. I'm playing it off like it's nothing. Yeah. You know, like, oh, all right, cool. You know, <laughs> all right, Hogan's going to be there. What do you want me to do, jump up and down? Yeah. So we walk into the building. And as we walk into the building, I started walking. And I put my bag down in the locker room. I come back out to the front. And I was like, oh, man, I forgot my phone. Let me go back. And as I go back, I start walking. Here comes Hogan walking down the aisle. I literally panicked and ran in the <laughs> opposite direction, you know, because that was the first time I had ever seen him. 
And, you know, I'm like, oh, my God, it's Hogan. I ran, went across, and I said, Devon, get yourself together. I'm like, okay, (laughs) breathe, breathe. So, of course, Bubba gets to see him before I do because Bubba's standing right there, and he's talking with Hogan Nash and, and, um, and Scott Hall. And now, all of a sudden, Bubba goes, oh, yeah, it is Devon. So I walk over, I said, hey, how you doing, Scott? And I had met Scott and Kevin before, so that was no big deal. But then I'm, you know, I go to Hogan, I go, Mr. Hogan, I'm nervous as hell. Yeah. Hogan, how you doing? And he goes, Devon, get the tables. <laughs> I've been wanting to sit there for the longest. I just went, you know, when you, uh, somebody's shocked, I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, Hogan knows like, who he, I am. Yeah. yeah, I was like, did he just do that? He's like, oh man, my my son Nick loves you, man. We do that all the time. We go around the house, going, "Devon, get the table," and I just remember saying to myself, "Damn, I finally arrived." Yeah, you know that's <laughs> the thing. Like, you know, you saying that, and as a guy, so you know, I grew up. I graduated high school in 1999, so like 98, 99, you know, 95 to 99. That's when wrestling was hot. That's when everybody came out of the closet as wrestling fans, right? Everybody, mm-hmm. everybody admitted it. And to hear, I'm just sitting here and I'm envisioning the first meeting of the Dudley boys and the outsiders. And I'm just like, that's a match. I would have loved to see. Did you ever have a match with them? I don't think you ever did. Did you? Yeah, we did TNA. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, we did in TNA and we went over. Ah, there you go. They put you over. Wow. They put us over. It was great. I remember the first encounter with Scott Hall um, and Kevin brings it up every once in a while. God rest Scott. So, he came up to us and he was like, this was that night. This was that night that I met Hogan at the Staples Center. He goes, the Dudley boys, what's going on, yo? He was like, you know, what's that thing that you guys do? And Bubba goes, and we're standing together. Bubba goes, what do you mean? He goes, that finisher you got, what, what do you call it? He goes, oh, it's 3D. He goes, yeah. Scott goes, yeah. He goes, um, I can't wait to get in the ring with you guys. So then when you hit me with that move, you know, one, two, I'll just kick out. <laughs> <laughs> and Bubba goes, he looked at him with a serious face. Scott, I'm going to tell you this right now. Nobody kicks out of 3D. You understand what I'm saying? And then Kevin sees that. He goes, well, no, Scott didn't mean that. He was like, you know, Scott's just joking around. Ain't that right, Scott? <laughs> you know, because when they came back, a lot of people were not happy because you know the whole click thing, and you know, yeah. and then plus what had you had the horror stories you heard in WCW, so nobody was really happy when those guys uh, mm-hmm. came to the WWE at the time, and that was publicly known. You know, people mm-hmm. had mentioned that, and the word was out there about that. So <laughs> Kevin told us, he goes. When we walked away, he picked Scott. He's like, idiot, we're already yes. trying to make friends. And you talk to the best, you talk to one of the te- that uh, the top line tag teams in here. Somebody going to kick out of their finish. Are you out of your mind? Stop making enemies, Scott. And Scott, <laughs> what did I do, bro? <laughs> He's like, hey, yo, what did I do? That's awesome. <laughs> you know, Man. It, it was great. But then, you know, we became love Scott and, you know, never had a problem with Scott. You know, even when we worked together, Scott was a complete professional and gentleman, and Kevin was as well. And, you know, to this day, Kevin and I and Bubba, we sit and laugh and joke and, you know, talk about the good old days. I never thought I'd be at this point in my career when I'm talking about the past, reminiscing like the old timers used to do when I was a young kid. 
It's yeah. like I never thought I would get to that point, but I'm old as shit, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, this is it's so interesting. I want to know. So your family, you're you're deeply entrenched in the church. I mean, your mom is now going to goes to theological school, becomes a minister, and you talked in the last podcast about how she raised four kids and they're all doing so successful. And you talk about all these things. What was the reaction when you were like, I'm going to go train to be a pro wrestler? What did your family think? Uh, my father wasn't happy. My mother was outraged. And I had a I had a four year scholarship to play football and I mm. turned it down uh, because wow. number one, my career never got off the way I thought it was, should have been uh, in New Rochelle. And I was like, how the hell did this happen? You know, I was like, and there was so much politics going on, even at the high school level. I said to myself, I was like, why am I going to get involved in this? I was like, I'm only going to wind up being miserable like I was my last two years at New Rochelle High School. Mm-hmm. Um, when it came to me playing, I was like, I should just stop and just do what I want to do. My love was professional wrestling. And I remember telling my mother, I said, yeah, I'm going to do professional wrestling. And she looked at me as if to say, if you don't get the hell away from me with that stupid nonsense, I'm going to knock the hell out of you. And (laughs) I was like, I didn't say anything. And then all of a sudden, I went down to Johnny Rods' school. My grandfather gave me the money uh, to give it to Johnny to pay for my schooling. I paid my grandfather every dime. He never had to come looking for me uh, when it came to pay him back. And I wanted to make sure that happened because, you know, most people, when you borrow money from family members, you always got to go looking for them because they want to duck and dive. But they weren't doing that when they were asking you for the money. But when it came time to pay the money, now all of a sudden, you know, they want to hide. They don't want to accept your phone call. And I'm like, yeah. I always joke with with my son. I'm like, hey, if you ever want to get rid of somebody, just loan them some money. You'll never see them again. Gone. (laughs) Gone. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, it, it it had gotten to the point where, um, you know, I I would come home and it was constant arguments, mm-hmm. you know, because I didn't take the scholarship and I didn't go play football, um, and at that time all I saw was pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. I didn't see anything else, and my father wasn't happy with it, but he understood. But my mother just wasn't listening at all. So you know, being the preacher's sons son it just did not fall over at well at, at all in my parents household so like a lot of kids i had to pack my stuff and get my own place yeah did, did you did, so when you're doing this though i mean is there a point where's the point where they kind of get on board and say hey you did good is it an ecw or when you moved to wwe my father my father was okay during the ECW uh, days. He basically, I would show him clips of it. And even with the cursing and carrying on, he was okay with it, you know, because he said, you know, that's what you're doing on TV. I know how you are in real life. And yeah. that's not you. It's actually My pretty mother- interesting. It's actually pretty interesting. Sorry to interrupt, but it's interesting to hear that if he, especially if he wasn't a wrestling fan to understand the character aspect of it. Cause so many people don't, you know what I mean? Like they don't, they don't separate Hulk Hogan from Terry Bollea. Right. You know? Right. And so they don't, they don't, they don't uh, separate Devon Dudley from Devon at home. You know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. it's interesting that your dad, your dad was able to do that. I mean, he was right now. My mother on the other hand, no, <laughs> even during ECW, she was not budging. 
The only time she changed was when I got to WWE and I was on TV performing. Uh, when I was performing in Madison Square Garden or wherever I was on TV, that was when things started changing. And when she saw the money, mm. when, you know, when she saw the money coming in and my life started changing, uh, that was when she was happy. I remember, you know, in, in black churches, uh, and I'm, I've never seen this, I mean, in all black, you know, because like a lot of churches, you know, white churches, I don't see this with the families where in black churches, when church is over, the black families will go in the back of the church and wait for the congregation to leave and see the congregation out the door. You know, it's mm -hmm. every Sunday. And uh, I remember people coming up to, to, to us, you know, God bless you and all of that. And uh, one person said, oh man, he was like, look at this. Is this your son? Is this the wrestler? Is this the mm -hmm. one you were telling us about? Oh my God, my nephew loves him or my son loves him. Oh mm -hmm. my God, you know, you've got to be so proud of him. My mother goes, I'm extremely proud of him. I think it's great and you know, blah, blah, blah. I was in his corner the whole time. I looked at her, I took a step, <laughs> I took a step to the left and she said, baby, what's wrn I said, you know, lightning can strike even indoors. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and she said, oh, stop it. I was like, all right. So of course we're in the car. I was like, why'd you lie to that woman? I was like, you sort of be a woman of the car. Why'd you lie? <laughs> and she was like, well, what do you want me to say? I was like, the truth, how you were totally against what I was doing. Yeah. And you know, she, oh, stop it. I wasn't. And then of course we never brought that up again. Yeah. Your football, what did you play? Uh, I had two positions. I was offensive tackle, um, and deep and nose tackle, and then defensive tackle. So oh, I played wow. three different positions. But by the time I got to high school, uh, senior year, we were talking about changing um, my position uh, just uh, to a linebacker because I I was a big kid when I first started. But then as I got to like my senior year, now you know you got men. You know, mm -hmm. people that grew up, they were a lot bigger than me. So, and I was kind of quick at the time, you know, moving off the ball and all that. So the coach decided that he was going to make me a linebacker. So that way I would be able to continue my football career and not get eaten up on a defensive line. Right. And he, he was right, but I just never excelled the way I wanted to. Uh, as a linebacker, and I mm. thought it was a lot of politics that was involved. So again, I just gave it up, and I didn't want to do it anymore. I was yeah. just tired of it. And pro wrestling, Hulkamania, just blew my mind. And all I could see was Hulkamania all day, all night. That's all I wanted to do. Man, so now looking back on that, I mean, it's it's crazy because, and I kind of do this too because statistically, you know, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't. I didn't grow up in like a, in an urban area. I generally get, you know, my area was nice and stuff like that, but with my family makeup and the history, I sometimes look back and go, man, I dodged a lot of bullets. You know, I was able to make yeah. it. And, and uh, you know, do you ever look back and just tell me, I think you've kind of already talked about how grateful you are for everybody around you, the, the community that helped build who Devon is today. Mm -hmm. uh, talk to me a little bit in this last few minutes, because I know you have a hard out about what that all that that origin story means to you now that you're a little bit older and can reflect. Well, you know, again, growing up the way I did, um, 
I'm not supposed to be a success story. I'm supposed mm-hmm. to be a tragedy in, in a lot of people's eyes. You know, mom pregnant at 15, had me at 16. Father was a big time drug dealer, did what he did, you know, and then the preacher comes in later on and does the save. It was like he made the hot tag, you know? Right. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's one of those things, it means so much because a lot of kids out there are facing what I went through or worse, than what I went through and yet never make it out. You yeah. never have those people that can help them to build their lives and to get out of where they are growing up, you know, and show them the right way of doing things. I looked at pro wrestling during the rock and wrestling era with Cindy Lauper and them as my um, role models. You know, when Hogan said, say your prayers, eat your vitamins and train, I listened. Mm -hmm. So when people say, oh, you know, athletes aren't role models, their parents are. Yes, their parents are role models. But the people that they're watching on TV that are bigger than life, they're role models, too. So it's very important that we watch what we do out here because of the fact that these kids are watching and they are doing exactly um, what we tell them to do. So I'm very happy in that aspect that my life turned out the way it did uh, with the hard work, even the struggling along the way, because there were some struggles. Yeah. You know, there were some struggles with I did not have money, you mm-hmm. know, to do things. I worked in the post office and I was struggling, yeah. you know, to take care of my first wife and my twin sons. You know, it was a struggle and I made it, you know, I yeah. made it through all of that. And there were times where I didn't know how we were going to eat. There were times where I didn't know how the rent was going to get paid. But God made it happen. As long as I stayed the path, it happened. So me giving all honor to God and my Savior, Jesus, I love that. I get teared up, you know, every time I think about it because, again, there's no telling where I would be. Yeah. You know, without all of that. And, yeah, you know, I, I stirred away from the church and, I was out there, you know, as a young kid, you know, getting involved um, in the lifestyle of being on TV and famous. Never got into drugs, but, you know, unfortunately, the women uh, was my, you know, was my demon of choice. Mm -hmm. And luckily, I did not, you know, um, get into the get into the um, get into it real bad with that. You know, Mm -hmm. I had my fun and if that's what you want to call it, I had my fun and that was it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I was delivered from it and saved from it. And a lot of times when people ask me, I go, it was only through the grace of God that I didn't get in trouble, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, um, have kids outside, mm-hmm. you know, wedlock or what have you. It was only through the grace of God that he kept me straight, even though I did to the left when I should have kept straight, but he got me right back on track. Well, the beauty, the, the, the beauty of that, uh, real quick, is the, the beauty of, I don't think people understand uh, with a Christian background, is the beauty of the idea of Jesus is that you, we all do that. We all veer left and you can still make it right. And it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter. You can be saved and you still make a mistake here and there mm-hmm. and, and rectify it. And I think it's, it, like I said in the last one, it's big of you to admit those mistakes. A lot of people won't. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you have to come clean. You can't sit here and pretend like you're all holier than thou when you're not. You know, some of the biggest names in the Bible 
you know, failed. Pretty and, terrible uh, people back there. <laughs> oh my God. And God forgave them and basically um, did what he had to, and they did what they had to do to clean themselves back up where they were back in God's good graces. You know, that's the one thing I say, you can mess up and God will still be there to help you. There were so many times where I messed up and I should have been like some of these other tragic stories out there, you know, broke and not having anything, um, you know, a dime to my name. But yet every time I got to that point in my life uh, where I might have hit rock bottom, he lifted me right back up. Yeah. You know, you know so many times. Well, well, you know, listen, I, you, you're, uh, you, you got a heart out. I know that. So I have one last question that I really wanted to get to you. And that's this, you know, there's a lot of. There's a lot of people out there right now, politicians and the like, who who look at young people and tell them you can't do it, right? Mm -hmm. They look at people who might have been in your situation or my situation and say, "Hey, you know, uh, you know, a, a lot of negativity out there." Yes. Given your story, what is the message you would give to those young people if they're listening? Regardless to what you're going through, regardless to what life hands you. Don't sit there and say, you know, it's over. Or don't sit there and think that you can't overcome what you're going through. You know, lean on God and trust in him. There's an old saying in the Bible, he may not come when you want him, but he's always on time. Mm -hmm. Just when you think it's over, he steps right in and takes over. Think about it. You know, all the times that you have hit a rock bottom or you have done things that wasn't good and you felt that you were abandoned or what have you, just when you were at your last end's wit, somehow or another, you got pulled from the trenches and pulled right back up on your feet again. That's the grace of God. And you have to understand that that's what he does. You know, you will hit rock bottom. You will sit there and go through the trials and tribulations and the storm but know that in the end joy will come in the morning and you have to keep the faith and know that regardless of how hard it gets you have to know that god has you and he's got a bigger plan for you and that's what i always feel and that's what i like to tell a lot of young people don't worry about the storm that you're going through because if i'm not mistaken the bible says you know if you lean on him you know you will see that joy you know, uh, uh, what is it? How, how does it go? Um, sorrow, you know, sorrow might come at night, but joy comes in the morning. And, you know, when you wake up and you understand that, you know that. And I've always, and there's another saying, let, I learned how to let go and let God. Yeah. And I think a lot of podcasts, and this is why I'm very grateful for your show because a lot of podcasts don't want to hear stuff like that. They want to hear tragedy. They want to hear about people talking about this one and talking about that one. They don't ever want to hear about how God might have brought them from where they once was to where they are now. They always want to put the caption, you know, um, you know, somebody, you know, there was a train wreck and this like, like for instance, you know, the, the Tammy Sitch, you know, thing, yeah. You know, where now she's doing 17 years because of what what she has been through and this and that. They're quick to put that on the front page of their website. But let Tammy come out of that, give herself to God and do what she has to do to get right. And that you won't even hear about that. Yeah, you won't you won't true. even hear about that. You will hear about the tragedy of what she did uh, to get her in this position. But you won't put out there 
what she did to get herself right. Right. Well, I got to tell you, Devon, uh, I can tell you you're a preacher's son and I can, and, uh, <laughs> and, you know, uh, uh, it's always, it's always cool to hear where my heroes have come from. And you're definitely one of them. Uh, you've had a, you've had a, you've had a profound effect on my life. You and, and uh, Bubba Ray, I met him at TNA and, He's a he was a very hard man when I met him and uh, and uh, uh, but but you guys really have had a profound effect on my and the lives of my kids. They know who you guys are too, and I'm just grateful we had this opportunity. Well, my biggest thing is that you know I pray to God. I say I'm going to get Bubba in church. I'm going to get him in church. I'm going to get him on his knees and confessing that God is the King. I'm going to get him, and I, I tell him that all the time. He goes, "Yeah, okay." I'm like, "I'm going to get you in church." Yeah. I'm gonna get you in church one way well, or another. <laughs> I can't wait to see it happen. That'll be awesome. Oh, I'm a video. I'm a videotape and put it all over Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well, I know you got to go pick up your daughter. So thank you for for the time. I appreciate it, Devon. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for indulging me. Oh, thank you for having me on again and again. I would love to come on and I can I can talk for days. I'm gonna tell you yeah. that right now. I can oh, talk well, I'm sure we'll do it. Again. We'll do it again for sure. So. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And thank you for being one of the most respectful podcasts I had ever been on, if not the most respectful podcast I've ever been on. It was a joy today. It was a joy the other day. And again, if we had more people like you out there spreading the message of, of stuff like this, <laughs> social media wouldn't be so bad. Uh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. That means a lot to me. Thanks. Thank you. Appreciate it.